Greetings. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series uh, entitled The Biblical Principles Governing the Eyes. Uh, we talked about something in the last lesson that deserves more attention in, in its own lesson. I don't know how long this lesson will be. It may not be as long as the last few, but it still deserves to be talked about specifically by itself. We, you know, we, we see things and things are interesting and they're educational and they, they, uh, they're entertaining in a wholesome way and, and all that may be true and, you know, it may be true. But we don't, we don't understand that those innocent seeming choices, uh, if we're not careful, open doors to much more insidious things that eventually produce results we could not have imagined. We couldn't imagine him. Um, and I want to go back to uh, uh, James chapter 1, and the title of this lesson is, which we've already talked about, Double Vision Produces Fruitless Prayers. Double Vision Produces Fruitless Prayers. James chapter 1, verse 5 reads this way, If any, any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it will be given him. It shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that, is, he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Uh, according to the teachings of Jesus in both Matthew and Luke that we discussed in the last two lessons, actually, uh, seeing two different things will result in darkness with, within us. If we're seeing two different things, that's double vision, and that causes our eyes to not function spiritually like they're supposed to. Just like we have a natural eye, we have a spiritual eye. And if that <coughs> if that natural eye is double-visioned, uh, it's a problem. It's a problem. Uh, and the result of seeing two different things with that spiritual eye is that we will have darkness in us. And how great is that darkness and when we have darkness within us, the next thing will happen is we will serve, attempt to serve two masters for some time. But this is the problem. You're not really serving two masters. God doesn't share. The Lord Jesus Christ does not share. He doesn't. He says specifically he is a jealous God. My wife, I love her. She loves me. She does not share. Uh, she is not going to share me with another woman, period. I'm her husband. She's my wife. I'm not sharing her with another, another man. Uh, our God is not sharing us with another God. Now, I may fall into flesh. I may be tempted by the flesh and fall into occasionally doing things that are flesh. But when I begin to habitually do that, uh, regularly, let's put it that way, regularly do that. It's just a matter of course, especially with 
one particular thing or a couple of particular things that my eyes are uh, are given. I get the pleasure, the, the lust of the eyes working according to 1 John chapter 2, verse uh, 15 or 16 it is. The lust, all everything's in the world is the lust of the eyes, the the, the, uh, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Uh, so I, I get the lust of the eyes working, and I, I see this, and I, I want this. And uh, it, when I, I reach a certain place that I don't even realize, I'm giving myself to that regularly. I may still go through the motions of Christianity, of being an apostolic disciple i may go through the motions of that but i am not because discipleship true apostolic discipleship is about a relationship with god it's not just following a a set of doctrines it's not just being committed to religious activities and functions it's not and so I can I can do all the, the the right actions and say all the right words, but I'm not really a child of God in practice. And what does the scripture say? Uh, the backslider in heart is filled filled with his own ways. So I can be doing these things outwardly and saying these things outwardly, but I can be backslidden in heart because I'm filled with the ways of my flesh. I'm just it's just what I do. I, I give God his token time so that I have time to, to do what I want to do, whatever that is. Maybe I'm just giving it, I'm given obsessed to making money or acquiring possessions uh, or travel or whatever it may be that I'm doing by my will. Anything I'm doing by my will, that becomes my God. That's why it's called mammon and mammon is... Uh, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the world, and the instructions of the God of this world, the adversary. It's mammon. I can't serve God and mammon. So it's it's two minded. It's it's two spirited. It's double. It's and it results from being doubled vision. And listen again to what the uh, what the uh, uh, the scripture says. Let's look at it a little bit closer. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So in other words, I can ask for wisdom, and God is a liberal giver, and he's not going to chide me. He's not going to rebuke me for asking. He's going to give it to me. He wants me to have wisdom. All of those things God wants me to have, he is never going to rebuke me for asking for those things. Never. He's never going to do that. But here's the catch. But let him ask in faith. So here's a giving God who is a liberal, who is a God who gives liberally. And he does not chide his children or rebuke them for asking. He doesn't shame them from, for, for asking. And yet, I have to believe him. I have to have faith in him in order to receive. And there can be no wavering to my faith. Why? Why? Because if I am double-visioned and I become double-minded and now I'm double-spirited, I'm double-voiced. I'm hearing what the adversary says and I'm hearing what God says. 
And when my faith is wavers, I'm listening to the other voice and giving it credence. What is doubt? Doubt is division of thought. Doubt is division of thought. I am, I'm hearing what God says, and I'm trying to believe that, but I'm listening to what the devil says, or call it fear. I'm trying to have faith, but I got fear. That's doubt. Well, where do I see that from? Okay, because my eyes saw one thing and be created a mental image, and now I've got this mental image, and maybe it's a, I, I've seen people sick with cancer, and I, maybe I've had a loved one die with cancer, or I've been through cancer before, and, and so now the doctor hints that I'm, I have a lump, and I may have, I may have cancer, and all of a sudden I got all these mental images from my past experiences, both natural eye and spiritual eye. So now I've got this, and now I've got an open door because rather than saying God's in control, it's all right, everything's okay, I got this this image, this mental image, and it's bad. And that opens up my spirit to what? This voice of fear. Because fear is to the adversary what faith is to God. Faith is believing what God says. Fear is believing what the devil says. There's no innocent fear like that. Now, the scripture says that we're the, the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge. In that case, that fear, which is reverence for God, says, I believe he says what he means, and means what he says, and if I make this choice, these are the consequences, and so therefore I don't want to make this choice because I fear God. But that's not the kind of fear that most of us experience. It's the threats that we hear. You know, you're going to die, or this, you're going to lose everything, or this, you know, you know your, your kids are going to turn against you, your wife's going to hate you, your husband's going to leave you, whatever. I listen to that voice. All, everything that is fear-based is first voice-based. But how do I become susceptible to these two voices? Because I become too hearted because I was first double-minded because I allowed myself to be first and foremost double-visioned. I allowed my eyes to dwell on this, entertain this, and then I allowed my eyes to dwell on this, entertain this. I allowed that to happen. Without, it's innocent, you know. It was just a moment. I, I It was not a big deal, so it was just a, a moment. So I allowed that to happen. But then I, I don't see the seed I've sown. And I don't see that every time I give in to that, I'm watering that seed, and eventually that thing grows up. And what started out as a tiny seed is a monster. A mon- I don't mean like a monster that kids are afraid of. I'm t- a worse monster than that. This stronghold that now is influencing my thoughts and decisions. And, and now I can't even find my faith over here. Because a double-minded person, a two-spirited person, eventually God's spirit stops talking because you won't choose and I won't choose. If you or I don't choose, God stops talking to us. He's not going to compete. He's God. Why should he have to compete? Now, in his patience and long-suffering and his love for us, he'll put up with that for a, 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 a long time. I don't know how long it is. Days, weeks, months, years, decades, I don't know. And I've seen it vary from person to person. 
and what what he what he allows how long he's patient with some one person doesn't mean he's going to be patient with that other person the same he's god that's his right to make that choice and it all starts with entertaining double vision it all starts there it all starts with allowing ourselves well, I'll just watch that a little longer. Yeah, I should have stopped it. I should have stopped that video right then. But I'm going to watch that a little longer. I should have got off that web page right now, right then. But I'm going to watch it a little longer. Uh, I, I I should not have opened. I, I should have immediately deleted that email. Or seeing the address, I should never have opened that email. But I, I, let's just see what it says. Just curiosity. There's no such thing as curiosity. Because a lot of curiosity is actually unbelief. Because I'm curiously looking for or looking into that which the Lord said, avoid. So what do I do? So let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Now he lets us know what wavering is like. He says, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Now, maybe you've never been at sea in a storm, but I have. It was my uh, first summer after my first year at the Naval Academy, and I was on DD-864 destroyer Her- Her- Harold J. Ellison out of Norfolk, Virginia. And we were up in the North Atlantic uh, and that uh, tin can, because they call it that because it bounces around like one, that thing is like 350 feet long, which is over the length of a football field. It's not a speedboat. We were in a North Atlantic storm, a famous or infamous North Atlantic storm, for three days. I wanted to get off that roller coaster right then, but there was no getting off of it. We up and down, up and down, up and down. And let me tell you what, being tossed about by winds and wave is not fun. It's terrifying. You wonder if you're going to capsize at any minute. You wonder if you're going to capsize at any minute. I was sitting down in the boiler room, the engine, uh, the boiler room area of the engine room, and uh, there was this thing on the wall called an inclinometer. Uh, it was just a uh, a pendulum. It's just a pendulum. And it had uh, uh, an arc on it, and it had degrees on both sides of the arc. And as the, sh- the pendulum would stay straight up, so as the ship turned, it looked like the pendulum was swinging, but it wasn't the pendulum swinging. The, the gravity gravity was holding that pendulum straight down. So the ship was turning. And I was looking at the how far over the... I was facing the side of the ship. And so... We would go this way and then come back this way and this way. That's why we were going this way into the waves and whatever. We were still going this way and this way. And I watched, and I and I was told by the old uh, chiefs on board, the the, the salty uh, ones that had been at sea many, many, many times, that if that inclinometer ever gets to forty five degrees, we're going to capsize. We're just going. It'll that ship will just roll right over, turn upside down, and sink. Well, what they said was absolutely true, 
but it almost never happens. Of course, with a U.S. Navy ship, that's, you know, it's very difficult. And they're experienced seamen, so they have some idea to not put themselves in a situation where they roll side to side. Front to back, it's designed to go that way. Bow to stern, that's the way it's supposed to work. You don't want it going this way. That's not good if you can help it. But I'm telling you right now, it's terrifying. You watch that thing swing, and you don't know, is it coming back up? If I need, do I need to put a life jacket on? I mean, but I'm down in the hole. I'm down in this boiler room. Uh, how would I get out of here if it rolled over? How would I even find my way out if, if the passageways are upside down? How would I get out? So being a wavering believer, a double-minded, double-hearted, two-spirited, all because I was double-visioned Christian, is not a fun ride. I don't have any problem understanding how people in that condition would eventually backslide because you're not going to, you can't stay in that. We were in it three days. All the, all the, 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 uh, the, the tables that we ate on in the mess hall, they had, uh, little, uh, metal ridges that stood above the, the, the top of the table. And I wondered what that was for. Well, that was so the tray with your food on it wouldn't slide off the table onto the floor. Because the ship, the roller coaster doesn't stop so you can eat. It doesn't stop so you can sleep. It can get bad enough, you actually have to tie yourself into your, your bunk, your rack. Because being tossed is not fun. Oh, for a few minutes on a roller coaster, it might be. But you know that roller coaster is going to end. And, but it can be so terrifying, people won't get back on them. What do you do when it won't stop? He didn't say that uh, for he that wavereth is like a person on a roller coaster. He said he that wavereth is like a way of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Well, if the wind is tossing the waves, everything on the waves is being tossed too. And where does it start? Where does this kind of wavering come from? And how many times have I, as a pastor and even uh, with people I wasn't their pastor, ministering to them. You know, they need an answer from God. They need peace with God. They need something from God. But they're so torn with fear. Their faith is so wavering. They've, they've established a foundation in their life. They started out seeing double things which became double-minded and then two-spirited. And they established this as their pattern of life. And when they needed God, they had no foundation to call on Him from. None. None. And that's why James makes this next statement. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Well, God is not fair. He's not kind. He's not loving. That's not true. He responds to faith. He gives to all men liberally, and he doesn't rebuke. He doesn't upbraid those that ask. There's only one condition. You have to have unwavering faith. There can't be doubt in your heart. Doubt is division, division of faith. I'm believing God. I'm believing what the adversary is saying. I'm believing the word. I'm believing fear. I'm believing these two spirits. I'm unstable. I'm unstable. I don't have any foundation upon which to pray. 
I don't have any. So we get to this. Again, from the text of James 1, verse 7, we must take note that our prayers will become totally ineffective, no answers at all, which will paralyze our spiritual lives, all as a result of being too spirited. I'm too spirited because I became double-minded because I started out as double-visioned. The most damning, D-A-M-N-I-N-G, and the most damning, D-A-M-M-I-N-G, effect of this negative spiritual condition is that it totally shuts down prayer. No results. So whatever religious praying you were doing, when you need an answer and you can't get it, you will stop even the religious praying. Because it doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for you. We may say the words, but there's no response from heaven. And if that becomes the norm for us, we will not pray. And when we stop praying, we'll stop even pretending to be Christians in actions. We may even come to church on Sunday mornings for a while. Go through the motions while we're there. But our flesh can't get wait to get out so we can get back to our computer, get back to our iPad, get back to our video game, get back to whatever it is we're giving our eyes to. Can't wait to get back. Why is this the case? One of the most frightening verses in the Bible. Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What is iniquity? According to Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21, and I'm not quoting, I'm trying to quote, but it won't be exact. Uh, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, cast out devils in thy name, and done many wonderful works in thy name? That's King James. This Greek has literally done many mighty miracles in your name. But verse 23, he said, But then will I say unto them, uh, Depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. So if doing the will of the Father is what's necessary to be saved, and iniquity is what causes God to not know me, and the word know there in the Greek is not the word to have knowledge of, but to know in an approved relationship. It's a knowing of relationship, of having in a relationship with someone that pleases you. So they're not knowing you in approved relationship. I never knew you in an approved relationship. So if, 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 if it's doing the will of the Father that is necessary as to go to heaven, and iniquity is what keeps me from going there, then the definition of iniquity according to Jesus himself is not doing the will of God. Well, whose will am I doing? doesn't matter. My will, the world's will, or the adversary's will. 
the will of my flesh, whatever it would be. It's just not the Father's will. And this is the frightening thing. To do the things that they said they'd done, prophesy, cast out devils, and do mighty miracles, they would have had to have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And because they did all these things in his name, it's safe to assume that they were baptized in Jesus' name. So they've been baptized in Jesus' name. And he said, they'll say to me, in that day. So that wasn't talking about the Gospels. In that day, they'll say to me, in that day, that judgment day, they'll say to me, Lord, I did all these things. And he'll say, I didn't know you. I never knew you in a proved relationship. You never came. Why? Because you would do what I wanted you to do in the areas that were convenient for you, but then you did your own will in these areas. And the most important place where that dichotomy that uh, uh, conflict of interest was, was in what I chose to see, to see what God said was okay or to see what I wanted to see because that's what opened me up to this condition. And notice again, please, to be double-minded or two-spirited or double-visioned, I'm still seeing both sides. It's not the same thing. As consciously choosing, I reject you, God. It's not the same thing as consciously choosing, I reject you, God. It's choosing to not choose between the two. It's thinking that it's okay to be influenced by both equally. And maybe that changes from day to day. Maybe there's some days that the Lord influences you the most. And there's other days where your flesh and the world and the adversary influences you both. But still, it's choosing to stay in that place. It's choosing to not choose who you're going to surrender your will to. Because what does that let you do? It lets you keep your own will. I don't, I can, I, I'll do what he says when I, when it's convenient for me and I'll do what the world says when it's convenient for me. But the rest of the time I'm doing my own will, which is what iniquity is. My will. It's my will to do my will, not the, and so I've, I've got these two influences that I've chosen to keep. And the result of that, prayer doesn't work. But what's the opposite of that? First John chapter three, verse 20 says it this way. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have, have, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. There it is. There it is. If I'm, if, if, if at best, I'm in this two-spirited place where I'm not choosing between the two. And sometimes I obey God and sometimes I obey whatever I'm, I'm obeying. But I'm, but I'm maintaining my will to choose whenever, whenever, however I want to choose. My heart's going to condemn me. That's my conscience in this case. And who's my conscience? It's God speaking through my spirit to me. Through my flesh, I interact with the temporal world. Through my spirit, my human spirit, God interacts with me through my human spirit. Even without the Holy Ghost, he interacts with mankind through the human spirit. That's called conscience. The word conscience in, uh, in the Greek, according to Strong's Greek dictionary, is, is co-perception. So my conscience is, 
my perception and God's perception of things partnering so that I know what truth is. And so if my conscience isn't offended because I'm not violating truth, then my heart doesn't condemn me. And if my heart doesn't condemn me, my faith works because my faith is not divided and I don't doubt and I don't have fear. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Did you get it? That's that walk with God he wants us to have. That is life. That's life and life more abundantly. That's uh, the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's it. Notice the details of it. This is not a two-spirited man. This is not a double-minded man or human. Whatsoever we ask, we receive him because on this account and through this agency, because we keep his commandments, we don't do our will, we do his, and we don't just do what's required of us, we do or what we think is required of us, the minimum, we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So doing his commandments is obedience. Doing those things that are pleasing in his sight is a surrender of our will to God. And that's the place where prayer works and we get answers. But one more time, prayer that doesn't work ultimately finds its root in being double-visioned, which produces double-mindedness, which gives us influence by two spirits and we're not choosing. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray today that somehow God, somehow God, would enable you and you would yield to God to allow him to put within you the desire to give yourself completely to him. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. His blood, his life, he purchased us. So therefore, if we're withholding ourselves from him, we're stealing from him what rightfully belongs to his. In this life, he will not take it back forcefully. Not in this life. As long as we live this life, you can live by your own choices. But there are consequences, even in this life. And there are eternal consequences in the next. So the, the question is, are you and I going to do the will of God? Or are we going to continue to sit in the middle between spirit and flesh and never make a decision who's going to win? In Jesus' name. Let's choose Jesus to win. God bless you.